Let me invite you now to stand and turn with me in your Bibles and turn your attention to Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, and I'm going to read to you about the best Bible study ever. The best Bible study that was ever conducted on this earth is in Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. I went in my closet this morning and discovered something I should have given as a gift yesterday. Did you do that? You know, I was so diligent to shop ahead, and then here I discovered there's one more gift to be unwrapped. Well, I got to wrap it first. But likewise, on this, the Sunday after Christmas, there is one gift yet to unwrap, and namely, I hope as we unwrap it, you figure out what place this book has in your life, in your family's life, and how we ought to engage in studying and learning through the Bible. That's the subject this morning in the best Bible study ever here in Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to him, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent." So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. 
Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, as we study this scripture, we pray, lead us, guide us, transform our hearts, make us more and more after the image of our Savior, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Years and years ago, my family was on vacation, and we were visiting a church, and I love to visit churches when I'm on vacation. I love to see how God's people worship in different ways, how they engage with the Scripture and in fellowship with each other. And so on this Sunday, we sort of made an exception that I'll get to in a moment, and we visited a church that doesn't hold the same view of the Scripture as we do, that the Scripture is true and everything. And, and, you know, we went into it. It was my idea. It was my idea. I said, going into it, how bad can it be? Mm -hmm. We answered that question. It can be bad. And, in fact, as the Scripture was read, which was a good thing, the Scripture was read, I came to find out that the feeding of the 5,000 was not a miracle at all. But in point of fact, everybody brought a sack lunch with them. Isn't that cute? And put their sack lunches and contributed them together, and that's how the 5,000 were fed. And so we're, in, we're listening to this and... Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, am I really hearing the deity of Christ being denied, the power of God in miracles being denied, the veracity of Scripture and the authority of Scripture denied? And I'm looking across the way, and I notice a fellow doctoral student. We are both working on our doctorates at that time, and he's a classmate of mine, and here we are, we're looking at each other while we're hearing the sermon. We're, did you just hear that? Yes, there was confirmation, in fact, that I heard this message that denied the deity of Christ, his powerful miracles. It was true. And as I relate that story to you, and I, I want to tell you, God had us there by his providence because that still, over a decade later, burns me up and motivates me to preach what is in the scripture and so it was it was fascinating to be there that sunday and as i tell you that story the problem with it is it sure sounded like a good sermon there was passion there was some emotive content the scripture was read uh, there was information being conveyed it had all the trappings of what we might call a good sermon, but it wasn't. It wasn't. And so this morning, let's look at really what are the criteria for a good sermon or a good Bible teaching. Uh, let's look at how Jesus taught the Bible, and let's learn together and unwrap this as it were so that if you're a Bible teacher, 
or if you're a participant in a Bible study, if you listen to sermons or give them, that all of us would have the criteria of the Savior guiding and leading us in our engagement of Scripture. This has relevance even as you read the Scripture individually for yourself or in your family, that you would read in such a way that follows the interpretive hermeneutic, the interpretive method of the Savior. And so we'll look at that today, four points to make. They're there in an outline in your bulletin. And the first one is that really a good Bible study, a good Bible teaching, a good sermon, all of it should lead us to the Savior, to be led to the Savior. And so what we see, and you saw the context here, verse 13, two of them, they're going to a village named Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. They're talking to each other about, verse 14, all these things that had happened. And while they're talking to each other, Jesus draws near to them. And we understand that their eyes, look in verse 13, uh, 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing them. We don't get any explanation of why that happened or how it happened. Perhaps it was divine power that had veiled their eyes. They would eventually recognize Jesus for sure, and we'll get to that. But really, isn't that the point of Bible study, to be led to a point of recognizing Jesus? That's the point of all good sermons or all good Bible studies, that we would recognize the Savior, that we would know Him better, that we would know His character, His love, His lowliness, His humility, His gentleness better, that we would know our own need of the Savior better, that we would see Jesus as the precious and beautiful Savior that He is, that we would understand something of how we should conduct ourselves in this life in God-glorifying ways in part from being led to the Savior, to know the Savior better, to be led to Him. And Jesus will lead them to Himself, to that point of them recognizing Him. That's in verse 31, and we'll get there. That's where we're headed but the way this interaction happens, it happens in such a way that it leads them along to the Savior. And so we want to arrive at being led to the Savior. We want to arrive at this and learn for ourselves to learn and to experience uh, who the Savior is. So their eyes are kept from recognizing Him. And then what happens here? He listens to them and he loves them. So part of being led to the Savior is this process where there's interaction, where there's discussion, where there's talking, where there's uh, being led to the Savior in part through articulating where they are coming from. Look at verse 17. Listening and loving here, what does Jesus say? Verse 17, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? Does Jesus, who knows all, really need to ask that question? But this is part of His grace in action. Just as God 
all the way back to the Garden of Eden, asked Adam and Eve, where are you? He invites them out. He knows where they are. He knows they're hiding. So Jesus, being the perfect teacher, invites them out. What, what are you two talking about? He knows what they're talking about, but he wants to hear from them that they would be led to the Savior through their own articulation and through their thought formation. And look at this at the end of verse 17. It gets real. It gets real. They stop walking. They stood still, and they looked sad. Good Bible study engages the emotions. Good Bible study has to deal with the emotions because in part we are not just brains on a stick. We have emotions, and these emotions oftentimes keep us from recognizing truth. They keep us in that if our emotions do not respond to discipleship, we will always be immature Christians regardless of how much we know theologically. Did you follow that? If our, our emotions, we need discipleship with those two, not just to gain more theological information, but to grow emotionally as we are sanctified through the power of the Spirit. So here they are, they're sad, it just got real, because Jesus is not telling them, don't be sad. He isn't squashing their <clears throat> emotions or redirecting that. He lets that come out. So they stood still looking sad at him, verse 17. One of them, Cleopas, answers him. Look in verse 18. This is insulting, isn't it? The one who is God, who knows all, is insulted here. Verse 18, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? They're talking about the very things that happened to Christ himself, and yet... Jesus doesn't react. He doesn't get reactionary with this sort of insult that is leveled towards him. No, instead, what does he do? He asks another question, leading them to the Savior, drawing them out. What things? Again, he doesn't really need to ask this question, but he uses these questions. Aren't questions great for drawing people out? Let's get it out on the table. Let's talk about what we're dealing with. Let's talk about what we're feeling. What emotions surround these great theological truths that imprison us or hold us back? What things? And then in verse 19, they start to articulate. They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And they go on. And part of that is diagnostic. A good teacher knows where his students are. A good teacher knows those who he teaches. He knows where they're at in part through allowing them to discuss, allowing them to articulate for themselves where they are at. And then we see in verse 21, it gets real again. Their emotions are already out, stood still, looking sad. We saw that in verse 17. Now look at verse 21. I imagine it was said with this kind of tone. 
but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. It gets real because they are laying out for Jesus, this is what we hoped for. And sometimes the best Bible study happens at that intersection where we lay out, hey, I thought my life was going to be like this. I thought my 2021 was going to be like this. And we lay out our hopes and our desires. And we're honest and vulnerable with each other. It's then that the best Bible study happens, isn't it? Because we're getting real with each other. And that's true, too, if you're leading a family devotion or if you're reading the Scripture for yourself, uh, which I hope you do in your devotional life, that you can get real with God, get real with your family about what you have difficulty grasping, about what you have difficulty believing, about your own internal struggle with, I know God is sovereign, I know He's in control, but look at what happened to me. It's there that the Scripture most intimately addresses some of our deepest needs and desires. And so they lay out their hope for Him. And here's, here's the thing, here's the takeaway for us as they continue to unpack the circumstances there in verses 22, 23, and 24 of what they had seen and recounting this before the Savior we need to allow discussion to take place. To allow discussion to take place. To talk out our ideas. Even if you're a quiet type person and you want to keep things to yourself, it's important to know there's a great number of people who need to talk and articulate as they think in order to work out their ideas and work out what they are believing, and talk through their struggle. You see, engagement, discussion, honesty, those are the things that help us grow and learn together and mature as we are nurtured in the faith. So often, sometimes, and I, I feel this, sometimes we're saying as a Bible teacher, I got to get through this information. I got to get through my outline. I got about a half hour. I got to get through. I got two more points to go. I'm 18 minutes and 50 seconds into it. I got to get to the end. The Spirit doesn't always work that way. Information is not so important as is transformation. And spiritual transformation happens frequently over the information we already know. It's not a lack of information we need. It is transformation over the information we already have. And so how does that work out? When people get honest, stood still looking sad, and the teacher, the master teacher, senses that, knows that. We ask questions. What things? Tell me about it. Tell me where you're coming from. Allowing people to question, to ask. I think the church is the best place to be a doubter. It should be. 
because it is there we come into contact with the truth in a community of people that are real, authentic, and honest with each other. And so it's not getting through the information. Stop asking those questions. Stop going down that rabbit trail. Stop talking so I can get through what I need to get through. Sometimes the spiritual detours on the road are the best ones to go down because the Spirit guides and leads us in that. So allow discussion to take place. You know, I love Bible studies. I love biblical discussion, talking through things. Uh, hey, what did you think of that sermon? Uh, oh, man, he needs to practice more. You know, whatever it is, whatever it is, to talk about that as a family to engage with God's Word, and to struggle, be in the midst of the struggle, to listen and to love your people enough that you're teaching or that you're reading the Bible to in your family as you're leading them spiritually to allow those ideas to, co to come out. You know, how can God be sovereign if bad things happen in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people, too? engage with those questions and answer them. I love Bible studies that just don't have these rules attached to it. Uh, oh, we're not going to talk about politics, or oh, we're not going to talk about church affiliation or something like that. I, I mean, those church and politics are my two favorite subjects. Uh, don't take those off the table. That's where some real growth happens. So leading to the Savior, so far I've shown you two, Two points here, leading to the Savior, good Bible study, leads to the Savior, knowing Him better, knowing our need for Him, listening and loving is involved, uh, Jesus loves and serves them through drawing them out, and then He gets to the teaching part. Ah, this is the part we've been waiting for, verses 25 through 27. Three things here to note. Uh, verse 25, he confronts them. There's a little bit of a confrontation that takes place here. Look at verse 25. He said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He confronts them in their error. What is their error? They have not read the prophets accurately. They should know. Of all people, they should know who Jesus is. And they don't. And so he confronts them. He calls them fools. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. We've got to correct error. But notice here, they don't take offense. Cleopas and his companion there on the road to Emmaus don't take offense because Jesus has done what? He's listened to them. He has loved them. The very demeanor of Jesus has drawn them out and built a relationship such that his gentle confrontation here is well received, isn't it? It's part of the learning. Now, I'm not saying you have to build a relationship with someone before you correct error. There are errors and erroneous things said in Bible studies that in groups that you got to jump on and, and correct, for sure. But the effectiveness of teaching is based most frequently on a relationship. 
on our relationship. And Jesus has that relationship enough to confront. So Jesus confronts there in verse 25. Then he declares, look at verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus has confronted, then he declares, and then he teaches. Verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them all the script, in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Oh, what a Bible study that must have been. Can you imagine? And it shows you that all scripture points to Jesus. The point of Bible study in terms of leading people to the Savior is because all the scripture is either preparatory or it is in praise of our Savior and what He has done for us. And so all the Scripture points to Him. So Jesus shows that He is at the crossroads of all Scripture, beginning with Moses, so we understand the Pentateuch there, and all the prophets, the Old Testament. He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. He connects the dots for them and helps them with that. So there is correction, there is declaration, and then there is a demonstration of all the scriptures pointing to Christ. Now, what's the result? What's the outcome of all this? Verse 28, they draw near to the village which they were going. There's four outcomes here. He acted as if he were going further. They urged him strongly, first outcome here. Because if we talk about Christian education, if we talk about teaching, there should be educational outcomes from that. You know that. If you're an educator, you talk about educational outcomes. What are the educational outcomes from listening to Bible teaching? The first one here. Look at verse 29. Stay with us. It's because they're around the Savior. They want to be near the Savior. They want Jesus to stay with them. They want to be with the teacher. Stay with us. So there's a drawing near to Jesus that is one of the outcomes of good Bible teaching, good preaching. Good preaching should draw you into the throne of grace to recognize better who Christ is and your own need for Him. Stay with us. And the second outcome here, verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized Him. Ah, to recognize the Savior, to know Him. Isn't something that's important happens here the recognition happens, verse 30, when he's at table with them. He took the bread and blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. It's only then that their eyes are opened. They recognize them. Did you understand something here? Their eyes were not opened after the informational presentation of verse 27. But indeed, in action breaking the bread, being at table with them, in proximity with them. It's then they recognize Jesus. So two outcomes, stay with us. We want to be near Jesus. 
eyes open. They recognize him and his work. Jesus vanishes then. Why does he vanish? Purpose of the Bible study is concluded. Bible study over. You have recognized me. Bible study over. And what do they say? Verse 32. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Did our hearts not burn? They're passionate. Emotions engaged. Where were they before? Verse 17, standing still. They quit walking, looking sad. Verse 21, where were they previously before Jesus taught them? Verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. And now, did not our hearts burn within us? So this passionate heart, and I understand that's filtered through personality. Different ones of us have different personalities. But to express that passion, that our hearts are burning, we're passionate for the things of God. So three outcomes. Stay with us. Eyes open. They recognize Jesus. Burning hearts. Passions engaged for Christ. And the last outcome here of good Bible teaching. They tell others. They tell others. Verse 33. And they arose that same hour. Returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together. Saying the Lord has risen indeed. They give witness to the power of the resurrection and the Savior. The Lord has risen indeed. And then they tell others, verse 35, Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. They give testimony to what they have seen and heard, confessing truth and sharing it with others. And so that's what a good Bible study does. It leads to those outcomes. In part, it leads to those outcomes. Stay with us, recognizing Jesus, burning hearts, and telling others the truth and sharing the gospel with them. It le- they, those outcomes are a result of being led to the Savior. They didn't recognize Him at first. Jesus leads them and loves them. What things? And then Jesus teaches them. He corrects them. He declares the truth. Was it not necessary? And then he shows how all scripture points to him. That's what I hope. That's my hope. Here at Trinity, especially in the year ahead, and as you think of the new year, as you engage in the scriptures, as you read the Bible, as you listen and participate in Bible studies, as you teach Bible studies, as you teach the Bible in your family at your dinner table. These are the kinds of outcomes which give glory to God. Let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are for this account. For two men walking on a road and Jesus meeting them where they're at and walking through those difficult emotions that they had, of being sad, of despairing, of even losing hope. They found encouragement, correction. They found the truth. 
And we pray that would be the case for us too. That together as a church, we would recognize Jesus, know our need for Him, and that our hearts would burn enough to tell others and to share the reality that the Lord has risen indeed. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.